starting out having a chocolate bar probably in your childhood it was like a reward or you would get it on a special occasion or it was a treat and there's this whole like stigma around chocolate is like related with being happy and going to parties and stuff like that so then like you start doing that when you're a child and then you do it for the rest of your life and then as you're an adult and you can choose what you eat you still are going to associate eating a chocolate bar with being happy and feeling fulfilled and yeah. loved and it's more it's so much more than just the food welcome back to the in situ collective this podcast is a chat between a pt and a nutrition coach if we haven't met before, my name is Jack, I'm the PT, and joining me is my partner, Mac, and she is the nutrition coach and soon-to-be psychologist. We've helped hundreds of people reach their health and fitness goals. This podcast is a chat about the lessons we've learned along the way, the lessons we've taught along the way, the teachable moments, and the topics we think will help you reach your health and fitness goals as well. Injuries. Uh, over the last couple of months, I've had quite a few people message in that aren't necessarily clients, but a lot of shoulder injuries or just chats about injuries. And I was going to do a post about it, but it's just so in depth. And there's a lot of different, you know, avenues that you can go down, I guess, to help your body recover or prevent injuries, not just movement, but nutrition and all that sort of stuff. So. Instead of doing a post, I'd rather talk about it now with you. Great. <laughs> um, and I heard a really good analogy the other day about injuries. Now, obviously, there's injuries where you get in an accident or something and you're injured. I'm not talking about those ones. I'm talking about like little niggles that turn into something serious. So like more so gym-related or movement-related injuries? Yeah, well, or overuse. It could just be from your job. Oh, yeah. You could sit at your computer all day and you get sore shoulders from that hunch that you get at sitting at a desk all day. Yep. I'm talking about that sort of stuff. And the, the analogy was um, I want you to imagine you're on a cliff or walking along the edge of a cliff somewhere, nice little walk there somewhere, and in the distance somebody's like, oh, watch out for the edge. And that's your body telling you that there's something coming up. Oh, and so then, the injury <laughs> is saying the edge is coming. Yeah. yeah. And then as you get closer to the edge, that person's going, watch out for the edge. And that voice is getting louder and louder telling you to watch out from the edge. But you get closer and closer. And when you're basically standing over the edge looking over there, that voice is like, there's an edge there. Do not step off. And it's, that's what your body does. It starts off as a little tiny niggle and it's just a little voice in the back of your head when you do something and it's like, oh, there's a niggle there. But then it slowly gets louder and louder. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and we don't do anything until we've fallen off the edge of the cliff. Yeah, till it's too late. And <laughs> I'm, I'm not immune from this. I'm struggling with a little bit of a groin injury at the moment. Um, and I know it's just a small little voice saying, watch out for the cliff. And I'm just, you know, it's hard. 75 hard challenges just pushing you towards the edge of the cliff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why you don't work out twice a day. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the time when you see an injury, it's from an overuse. So basically you're doing too much of one thing in one plane of motion, which causes a niggle. So what I mean is the push-up challenge. That's a great example of injuries. A lot of people get 
<clears throat> injured from doing the push-up challenge. You've got to do so many push-ups within the month and it's like 100 a day or something like that. Yeah. So if you think about it, the push-up is just one plane of motion. So it's basically all your chest and the front of your body where your back isn't really getting worked. So you're not doing any pulling movements like a pull-up or you know, a seated row or anything like that. Yeah. So one muscle group is getting overdeveloped. So your chest is getting overdeveloped where your back is not getting any attention at all, which creates, creates imbalances, which means you're going to end up getting injured or you know, you're going to end up with niggles that are calling out to you. Yeah. Well, doing CrossFit, I think I constantly had a niggle. And if I didn't have a niggle, then I had a serious injury all the time. And I always had to, I guess, like modify the exercises in the end because it's just, what is it? Mostly frontal plane. frontal plane. So like I had a niggle in my shoulder blade, which was like, it felt like someone had stabbed the knife into my shoulder blade or under my shoulder blade and left it there. Mm. It was like that annoying kind of pain there. Um, and now that we train, like, I guess, bodybuilding style, what do you, what I, do you even call it? I call it functional. Resistance training, essentially. Functional resistance training. So now we train all body parts mm. in every way that you can possibly imagine. I have not, I've got one old <laughs> niggle left over from CrossFit, but aside from that, I haven't had any new ones, which is mm. like, I don't know, it's people, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> but it also works like you're. Everything in your body is also connected. So you might just end up with like a little pain in your foot and that could be affecting your shoulders. Yes, true. So again, it's something that you're overdoing in your whatever you're doing. You could be walking up steps, too many steps at work mm -hmm. the wrong way and you might lead with that, like the right foot every time you step up that step. That's going to create an imbalance and then all of a sudden you've got a shoulder niggle and you're wondering where it's come from, it could be coming from your foot. So that's why I'm saying when you start to hear that voice, you're too close to the edge, yeah. start listening to it and start doing something about it. So <clears throat> again, it's very hard, <clears throat> excuse me, it's very hard from a movement point of view to give, like somebody said, what's the best exercise to fix my shoulder or something in one of the messages or question boxes I put up during the week. So I cannot just go, this exercise is going to fix it. Yeah. Generally, it's a couple of exercises that you want to do. So what I would say, if I'm going to, I'm just going to use shoulder because that has been the most common one I've got over the last couple of weeks. If you've got a pinch in the back of your shoulder, it's, there's a weakness somewhere. And it's probably something, a weakness because you're not doing something to actually move that body part or that muscle. So... All you need to do is break it down. So just reverse it and think about what you aren't doing or what you're doing the most and you want to do the opposite to that. So again, for the push-ups, if you're doing heaps of push-ups a day, you want, to, you want to counteract that with some sort of pulling every single day. And you don't want to just do, you know, 100 pull-ups and then 10 uh, sorry, 100 push-ups and then 10 pull-ups. <laughs> it's not really equal. Yes, pull-ups are a lot harder, but you want to be working at just as much effort as well. Yeah. Um, and I wanted you to weigh in on this because I've, I've had a couple of clients end up with injuries and it's not necessarily from the training. I know they're just not eating enough. Yeah, so then like their body can't physically support 
any of the movement or the, the amount of training that they do. Mm. I do see this a lot with women and running. Mm. So for some reason, we society associates exercise, specifically running with like losing weight and also not eating enough, like which is calorie deficit is a valid way to lose weight with losing weight. So then everyone starts to run like seven days a week and eats minimal food and then they obviously get injured. And if they don't get injured, I would be very surprised because you can't recover from exercise if you don't eat enough food, hmm. which is like you, it's, you're pretty much asking your body to break down by not eating enough. And then if you go into like the macro side of it as well, like you can, maybe you are eating enough, but maybe it's not enough protein. Maybe if you are doing a lot of cardio, like running, it's not enough carbohydrates, so you're going to have far less energy and then you have less energy left over to repair your muscles, bones, ligaments, tissues, everything that makes you move. So I feel like it is very, nutrition in general is very overlooked for the general population, just regardless of what you do. But then, yeah, I suppose people just start to eat less and exercise hard and then it's just asking for an injury. It just seems to be the way that it goes. Yeah. I'm actually glad you brought up running back to the movement side of things. Um, if you go for a 5K run, and for most runners in this scenario that are trying to lose weight running, 5Ks is pretty much nothing. They'll yep. just smash out a few of them a week. Now, in those 5Ks, let's say you're taking 5,000 steps. And if you've got a little bit of an imbalance in one side, that's two and a half thousand reps you're doing on that side, which is wrong. So, you know, add that up over a couple of runs a week, you're doing tens of thousands of reps on this one side in the wrong plane of motion, causing your body damage. Yeah. You're not refueling it, so it can't actually repair the ligaments or the muscles or anything. So you, you can sort of see where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. Overuse is very easy when it comes to running, especially if you haven't got the right technique. Running should be um, ad added in later in, in, in your training journey, I should say. Yeah, it's funny that it's the place, that's the place everyone starts. I yeah. guess because it's free, it's easy, you can do it by yourself. Yeah. You don't necessarily need a trainer. Mm. When you should actually go to the gym first, build some sort of strength in your ankles, knees, hips, everything, and then go back to running. But there's body weight exercises you can do at home for free that will build up the joint strength, the muscle strength and everything like that that will promote better running yeah. technique. So literally you could jump on our YouTube channel and look at those, I've got tons on there, but you could just Google it. Yeah. And you'll have heaps of free stuff that you can do at home, but because it doesn't give you a sweat, a lot of people won't do it. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to touch on, on the um, recovery thing, and I'm pretty sure everybody that's been listening to us for a long time we'll know what's coming and it's sleep <laughs> we actually you know last week i was thinking we have not spoken about sleep for probably the longest period of time we've ever not spoken about sleep yeah <laughs> right um if you are doing everything right you're you're doing the right training you're doing the right exercises to um you know to work on those imbalances and work out you know your technique and all that sort of stuff you're eating all the right stuff but you're not sleeping you're doing it all for nothing yeah. What I think I said on a podcast a while ago, sleep is a 
necessity, not a privilege. So mm. people think of sleep as like, oh, if you get eight hours sleep, you must be lazy or you're privileged because you have enough time or you don't have kids or whatever it is. But it's not a privilege. Mm. It's literally necessary for you to stay alive <laughs> yeah. and especially recover from injuries. Yep. Um, it is the best anti-aging thing you can do. Um, I'm talking looks and just your body well-being. I'm going to tell a little story. Okay. <laughs> um, about, it does directly relate to sleep, but I think a lot of the time we say these things and I personally know that sometimes I forget to do the things that I tell clients to do because no one is on my back like I'm on our client's back to do everything right mm -hmm. so since moving into our new house and like launching the app and everything like that I think and being back at uni I've definitely it's not that I haven't been in bed for like say seven to eight hours at night but my sleep quality has gone down because I've been so much more stressed we've been exercising so much more because of the 75 hard challenge so theoretically I need more sleep than normal and I haven't been able to do that um, and Rollo wakes me up at 5.30 a.m. every single day for his breakfast <laughs> because he's just a starving little sausage dog. But the moral of my story is that it's something so simple, yet it has made my anxiety go through the roof. Like, I don't really want to train a lot of the time. It makes me not even want to eat a lot of the time. It's just, and it's one thing. Mm. Like, it's one simple thing, and it impacts every single area of my life. It's just something that I think we all forget about. Yeah, so I can't stress this enough. You need to improve your sleep to recover properly. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people out there, like you said, mothers and all that sort of stuff, I do feel bad for them because, you know, their, their sleep is often very broken. Yeah. But you have to work on trying to get the best quality sleep. Even if it is broken up in a two-hour slots, you need to make those two hours the best possible sleep you can get. Mm -hmm. um, so I reckon we should just give a couple of tips on what we reckon works best. Okay, go. What's your top three? Top three is get when it comes to sort of eight or nine o'clock, all devices, everything turns off. Put your phone away, put it on airplane mode so it doesn't even bother you. I know a lot of people are like, oh, what if something happens and somebody needs to contact me during the night and... Just think, when was the last time that actually happened? <laughs> I actually said that to you last week. <laughs> yeah. Um, so turn your phone off. That would be my biggest thing. Like I know when people's sleeps get broken and that sort of stuff, they'll have their phone next to them on the bed, the bedside table. They'll wake up and then just jump straight on their phone until they feel sleepy again. Mm. And that's probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Second would be get rid of TVs and other devices like that out of your room. Like something so simple, but it's very hard for people to do. Yeah. Um, no matter, like you cannot find a study that shows that it does not affect your sleep. Having a TV in your room. Yeah. I just don't, like when I was younger, obviously I would watch, I would do that. I would watch movies and stuff on my laptop. I would scroll on social media till two in the morning and then go to sleep and you wake up hungover, that mm. hungover feeling, you know, because you've just completely ruined your sleep cycle like your body likes what is it repetition and familiarity and then you watch tv in bed where it should be a place where you just sleep nothing else mm -hmm. like 
So you go into bed and you're telling your brain, we're staying awake in this spot because we want to watch this show. Whereas you should be going to bed and it should just tell your brain, this is where we sleep. That's it. Like, it's so simple. We are actually so simple as humans. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But again, every single study has shown it negatively affects your sleep. Yeah. Not, there's not one where, oh, no, it might not, but it does. It does. Um, third, what do you reckon? Mine, personally, is a sleep mask. Yeah, okay. Because, like, like same with having the TV on or on being on your phone at nighttime, it's the light and specifically the blue light that affects your sleep cycles, your circadian rhythm. Um, and if you don't have the ability to have, like, blackout blinds or you have light coming in from outside of the bedroom you aren't going to sleep as well as you could if it was completely dark Mm. so i wear a sleep mask jack does not he hates it they i just i don't know i sleep too hot and i sweat too much and as soon as i put it on my face it just feels like i've got a wet towel on my face whereas i like it i like the darkness i like the pressure of it on it's like forcing my eyes to stay closed mm. <laughs> so yeah i would say if you struggle with the light annoying yeah. you, then and yeah definitely. I, I'd, for those mothers out there that do wake up during the night to attend to their children and you know everything else blue light blockers yeah like as soon as you you know you need to get up have them on the bedside table put the blue light blockers on because you're going to turn on lights and all that sort of stuff it's just going to help your body stay in that sleep mode and you're going to be able to fall back asleep quicker when you get back to bed. Yeah. And it, ideally, if, even if you're not a mum and you're the type of person that just wakes up in the night, mm. don't scroll on your phone. Just either get blue blockers, get really like orangey kind of light if you have a lamp and read because everyone knows that reading makes you feel sleepy. So why, why wouldn't you utilize that when you are like not sleeping well throughout the night? Good. Yeah. Um, so there's our sleep rant done for the last month little or last two. Us, yeah, a little while. Um, but we do, like, I can't stress this enough how important sleep is and just improving your sleep quality or getting an extra hour or two sleep will make a huge difference to your health, wellness and mental state. So please try and get some better sleep. Yeah. Hey team, just taking a quick break to ask you a favor. If you are enjoying this episode we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review and a positive comment wherever you are listening to this podcast it really does help us reach more people and help others reach their health and fitness goals we'd really do appreciate it and thanks again for taking the time to do that can foods be addictive if they don't actually have any addictive properties absolutely so I've seen a post from a pretty big science-based influencer, I guess you could say, on Instagram. And his whole thing was foods aren't addictive. Basically stop whinging and, you know, just deal with it and not eat the foods that you have to feel like you have to eat. Was he saying foods or foods without sugar or food like well, just food in general isn't addictive? Obviously he was sort of, you know, going down the sugar road and all that sort of stuff but we know there's some foods out there or some things out there like caffeine we know caffeine is addictive Mm -hmm. caffeine has addictive properties in it where um if you get a chocolate bar not necessarily there's no addictive parts in there there's a bit of cocoa in there cacao cacao which but 
that it's that minimal that it wouldn't actually have any addictive properties. So why can't people give up chocolate bars? I would say, <laughs> are you asking me or? Yeah, go for it. yeah, okay. I would say that it's not necessarily to do with like the ingredients that are in the food or the food itself, but it is a behavior. So like I said before, we like things, humans like things that are familiar. Um, and starting out having a chocolate bar, probably in your childhood, it was like a reward or you would get it on a special occasion or it was a treat. And there's this whole like stigma around chocolate is like related with being happy and going to parties and stuff like that. So then like you start doing that when you're a child and then you do it for the rest of your life. And then as you're an adult and you can choose what you eat, you still are going to associate eating a chocolate bar with being happy and feeling fulfilled and loved. And it's more, it's so much more than just the food. Yeah. You think about it as a kid, when was the last time, when was a, when did you go to a party where there wasn't chocolate? Yeah. Yeah. So like your whole childhood revolves around sweet foods and probably processed foods as rewards, right? Mm. Especially coming into this day and age because processed food is so much more relevant in our lives and stuff. Um, And generally even just takeaway, like if you say people, some people are addicted to like, I don't know, McDonald's maybe. Um, Generally you probably eat McDonald's like with a friend or you get it and you go sit somewhere in your car and... I don't know, listen to music and you're always eating it in an environment that makes you feel good because I guess you're trying to counteract the, counteract the fact that maybe you've had a bad day or you feel, don't feel great about yourself. But yeah, I think food, a lot of foods that get labeled as addictive, it's not the food itself. It's just the things we associate with eating it. Yeah. And I'm glad we're sort of going down this way because Doing the 75 hard challenge, we had to put restrictions on what we could eat. Um, and I've said this in a couple of past podcasts that you act, it's crazy how you actually tell yourself stories, how it's okay to eat some of these foods. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's bad to eat some of these foods. I'm just saying that, oh, like oh, this is literally me talking, but oh, I've worked out hard today so I can have that you know, whatever it's treat a reward, the, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's crazy how many times I've told myself these stories. Like, you know, you go out to dinner and you're like, oh, should I get dessert? And like, yeah, I've had a big day today. I, I should eat dessert. It's okay. I've done enough exercise. And it's like getting a gold star sticker mm. on you. You're actually, it's the, the act of eating the food gives you a dopamine hit. So that's what you're addicted to is like the feel good, the dopamine, not yeah. the actual food. So like obviously the 75 hard turns it around and you know you get a little bit more dopamine saying no to that stuff because yeah it's giving you more success in the challenge of not eating it yeah um because you don't want to go back to day one yeah and um it's just crazy how like i do this for a living and it's still treat like i still tell myself these stories and of you know it's okay to eat these foods or you know you walk past a packet of chips or something at the supermarket and you get that just because you know you've done a hard work hard workout the other day or something like that so yeah so in this guy this scientific guy that was saying foods aren't addictive like what was the context why why was he saying that like oh look i, I do as in i do think it was just to you know stir the pot stir the pot which social media does um it's more like this new trend of 
you know, love the body in and you can eat whatever you want and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And look, I 100% agree, you can eat whatever you want. But as I always say, the more you educate yourself on these foods, the less you're going to want to eat them. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, because I, I want every single person to be healthy, fit and live as long as possible and have the best quality life. And you're not going to be able to do that on these foods. No. And I know that because I've, I know, I've researched so much about it. I've learned so much about these foods. Yeah. So, yeah, I, he was sort of going in that direction. And, like, I agree, but you can't just say that these people get over it and these foods aren't addictive. Yeah, because it's so much more than just the food. It's not actually the food. It's the mindset. Yeah. Mm. In Let's stay on the topic of addiction. I listened to a very interesting podcast by Andrew Huberman. Um, always they're really good but they're also very science heavy which i quite like but i'm gonna just pretty much take the key points from it and i wanted to get your opinion on it as well i suppose so when you were younger right let's start with story time how like let's say between ages of 18 and 25 how much alcohol do you think you drank like on a weekly basis or a daily basis (laughs) between 18 and 25 yeah on a weekly basis. Um, well, I know between 18 and 19, I was in the last years of my apprenticeship and I had a group of friends and would go out every Friday and Saturday night and drink from about, I don't know, let's say four o'clock until 12 o'clock. Like constant, constant drinking yep. for years. Like So that was two, three years. We'd, we'd do that every Friday, uh, Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. And you know... I think that is a very common story. Yeah. If not even more than even more alcohol than that. Yeah. When I was that same age back, I'm only 25 now. So let's go from me being like 16 to 21, <laughs> probably when I got a brain, um, was probably the same. But I think uh, we probably started third because I worked in hospitality. So it was like Thursday through to Monday night was like you have drinks after work because you work in hospitality. And then on the weekends, like I would get black out drunk. Mm. Like I don't even remember how, like probably three years worth of weekends of my life, which now to me, it kind of makes me feel sad and a little bit sick that I did that to my body. And it blows my mind that I did it so many times because when you think about it, like alcohol gives you the high and then it gives you an extreme low but you pay to do it again <laughs> yeah. and again and again. A lot of fucking money to do it. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And it's all because, like, going back to the addiction or whatever, of the high. Like, mm. we just want that little, that high, you know, but I, I just, now I don't think that the high is worth the cost that it puts on your body. Yeah. Well, again, what celebration have you ever been to where there wasn't alcohol? Yeah, I really, yep. <laughs> I hate it so mm. much. But anyway, getting into the nitty gritty of it all, there was a study that Andrew Huberman brought up and I only read the abstract and the results of it, but essentially it was 35,000 plus middle-aged adults were in the study, men and women, mm-hmm. 35,000 plus. Shit. It's a big study. Yeah. Um, and they drank on average between one to two drinks a day or seven to 14 over the weekend, right? So I think that that is... A very normal standard in Australia, anyway, mm-hmm. for most people to be drinking that. And by the end of the study, I don't remember how long it was, um, they had literally lost neurons and their brain had degenerated. So neurons 
Uh, I don't think we've spoken much about them on the podcast, but essentially they are the messengers in your brain and to your entire body. So they're kind of like little tree root looking things and they touch each other and send electrical signals to one another to tell you to think, breathe, feel like everything that your body does, they control. Mm. So just having one to two drinks a day on average, they had a massive loss of brain neurons And like, to me, that's just, so drinking inhibits, obviously our ability to, I guess, filter everything that we say. Um, And then the study showed that after the people that drank frequently, this amount of alcohol frequently, after months of this, their baseline of ability to filter what they said, their anxiety levels, their depression levels, their memory their ability to process thoughts and feelings was extremely low. And that was their new baseline. So then they had to drink even more alcohol to get rid of all of that. But I think the thing that stood out to me the most was the baseline of all those negative things I just listed was that when they weren't drinking alcohol. Yeah. So that was their new normal in their everyday life without any alcohol is they were more depressed. They were more anxious. They struggled to think. They struggled to focus. They struggled with just motor, um, what's it called? Motor functions like throwing a ball and things like that. And that's the new normal. That is the new. (laughs) And a lot of people out there will be listening to this and go, oh, but I don't drink that much. But that was two drinks. What? Every night. One to two drinks a day or seven to 14 on the weekend, which half the town we live in would do that. Yeah. Um, So it doesn't take... And and again, this is a study of 35,000 people. So there could have been 5,000 people in there where it only took one drink Mm -hmm. and it affected them a lot. And you could be in that 5,000 where only one drink affects you a lot where you just don't realise. Yeah. And that's the thing here. It's like... It's almost cool or normal to be able to handle your alcohol well. Mm. But when you're out next, look at those people that handle their alcohol well and just like they're borderline alcoholic and just consider how low their baseline of depression, anxiety, their ability to think and feel is because they can handle their alcohol so well. Like, yeah, maybe it looks cool on the night when you go out, but what, what benefit does it have in the long run? None, and it puts you in a grave a lot sooner. So much sooner. The other thing that I quickly wanted to say about it mm-hmm. was in relation to, <laughs> I just lost my train of thought, in relation to nutrition, I guess, bringing it back a bit, is that it's empty calories. So, oh, yeah. Right? Mm. So you drink alcohol, <laughs> I guess, for the good time and whatever, however you justify it. Um, but also if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about your health to some degree. And I think that alcohol a lot of the time is the last thing people change because of society and Mm. peer pressure. But also if you're on like a weight loss goal or a muscle weight loss, yeah, path or a muscle gain path, you have to remember that alcohol still has calories in it. And that's the thing that a lot of our clients struggle with the most because it's liquid, so you think, oh, it's not really adding to my daily caloric intake, but it is massively. And it also costs your body so much energy to digest it because it's it's poison. Yeah. <laughs> like I can't emphasize that enough. So we drink the alcohol, it goes into 
our liver mm. and then our body and NDA turns it into acetaldehyde, which is literal poison and it kills our cells. So if you're bad at processing alcohol, it's costing you a lot of energy to get rid of it. And then on the other hand, there's no nutritional benefit mm. at all. So you're consuming five to 1000 extra calories by drinking frequently with no nutritional benefit and it's actually costing your body cells. Yeah. Like what? Um, yeah, I'm not going to carry on anymore about that. That's I, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Like, just cut it out for one. Do one month without alcohol and see how you feel. I guarantee you'll feel a whole lot better. You'll have a lot less anxiety. You'll move better. Yeah. Your skin will be better. You'll sleep better. Every, like everything will get better. Hey team, Jack here again. I just want to jump in here and quickly apologize for the next segment coming up. It is our listener questions and we had some really good questions from you guys. We really enjoy those questions coming in and answering them, but I did the smart thing and turned off my microphone for this last bit. You can still hear me. The audio isn't great. There's There was a lot of good questions in there, so try and listen along if you can, but I won't hold it against you if you decide to tune out here. And if you do, thanks again for tuning in. We really love doing these podcasts. So make sure you share them around with your friends or family that you think would benefit from these topics. And we'll talk to you in the next show. Bye. All right, let's wrap this show up with some listener questions. Oh, do you have one? I've got a couple for the first time in a long time. What? A question box. I know I keep saying that every episode that I'll do it, but I finally did it this time. And I've got a few questions. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm going to ask you these questions as well. Um, the, the one that sort of caught me off guard was, do you take peptides? <laughs> what? So peptides are a huge thing at the moment. You, My news feed on social media is full of people selling peptides and that sort of stuff. And it is quite trendy and, I guess, considered okay to take peptides. And peptides are, I guess to answer the question, no, I don't take peptides. <laughs> do you take peptides? Do they think you take peptides because you're huge? Um, I don't think I look like I take any type of enhancing drugs. Oh. I don't think I look that good or that big. But thank you for that person that sent that in. Um, peptides have their place, but more for medical reasons. If you're taking them to... I know, I think there's a couple of peptides out there that have, been t that have been said to burn fat in increased muscle mass. Um, there's not a lot of research around it, so I, I've never really bothered too much with it. Um, it's not really something I'm interested in. Yeah, I honestly don't hear anything about it yeah. in my um, globe. I think they're marketed more towards guys, so... Um, if you want to take them, go for it, but I'd do a buttload of research first because... Unlike testosterone-based supplements or things like that, testosterone is highly researched, so there's a lot of research out there that you can go and read before you take it, where there's not a lot done with peptides. Yeah. Um, the next one was, are uh, hip thrusts the best ones to build my glutes, my booty? Ugh, I just don't rate them. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I, I know I did answer this on my stories, but it comes down to what gives you the best connection, mm-hmm. like what exercise actually gets your glutes firing. Now, there's a little bit of a side tangent to that. So the booty booty burn exercise and all that sort of stuff that you get on YouTube where you're on your ground and you're doing glute bridges or fire hydrants and all that sort of stuff, mm. that shit does not build glutes. So that if you're doing those sort of exercises in the hopes to building a bigger butt, <laughs> um, I know it sounds weird, but yeah, if that is your goal, then you need to do like exercises that are loaded that puts the muscle through range. So deadlifts, yes, hip thrusts are a great exercise, single leg split squats, what else? Lunges. Lunges, any sort of lunge variation. So all those exercises, you're actually putting your body through range and loading the body up as well. So, yeah. It's funny that you say to grow your butt, it sounds weird. It does not sound weird. That is every, that girl, in quotation marks, goal on Instagram. Everybody wants to have a big butt. Is that not your feed? (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I just say to all the girls and guys, guys want to build big butts as well. That's not weird to guys. Okay, sure. Um... Just be careful of imbalances. Like if you didn't listen to the starter show, we talked about injuries and stuff like that that can cause you lots of issues. And if you build big glutes and big strong glutes and your quads aren't quite there, you're going to put imbalances on your bodies that is going to cause injuries. Yeah. Do you have any other questions? Um, are we going to get back onto YouTube? Oh, la, la. <laughs> yes. Last, last one. Um, yeah. That's it, just yeah. I did say this in my story on Instagram. If you've got any suggestions on what you would actually like to see in videos, um, we're going to get the podcast back on YouTube eventually. Just setting some things up. I want to do some more vlog type stuff, exercise demos. If that all sounds good to you, make sure you subscribe. If it doesn't sound good, let us know what you want us to <laughs> what, what you want to see, I should say. Awesome. Thanks again for tuning in to this podcast and we'll see you all again in the next episode.